And this, this message is kicking off a three-week series called Stepping Stones, which reminds us that our faith doesn't just happen in one fell swoop overnight, but that we take steps along our faith journey, and when we take those steps, we grow as disciples. And so um, we're going to turn to the Old Testament for the first part of this message and take a look at three different dads who got some things right and some things terribly wrong and see what those dads have to teach us about being a father and a parent today. And so our first reading is from the book of Genesis chapter 4. It's about Cain. Now, you might remember Cain. You don't think of him as so, so much as a dad. You think of him as a brother who murdered his brother out of jealousy. And then when God asked him where his brother was, he said he didn't know. Was he his brother's keeper? And eventually God cast him away from the community of faith. And that's where we pick up the story of Cain. Cain made, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. So I wonder what Enoch learned from his father Cain. Cain built a city, he named it for his son and I can only imagine that that taught his son the lesson that personal acclaim and fame is important, that worldly things are important, that we need to grow up to be self-made men where our fame gains us respect from others. And what would gain us more fame than having a city named after us? It was as though Cain looked at Enoch and said, Son, build a life by building things that will give you fame and glory. And not only for you, but fame and glory for your family. Now you might say Cain had no choice. Afterwards, God had thrown him out of the community. But it's important for us to remember that when Cain was jealous, he was jealous that God accepted his brother's offering more favorably than he accepted Cain's. And God spoke to Cain at that time, and he gave him grace. And he spoke to Cain and said, just give your offering wholeheartedly and let that be enough. So it wasn't as though God didn't try with Cain. And then when Cain responded to God's banishing him, he said, oh, they're going to murder me. God placed a mark on Cain to protect him. So even in sending him away, God showed Cain grace. But we never see Cain respond in any kind of way with remorse. You see, the Bible is filled with people who are imperfect and who do terrible things, but some of them, including some of the dads we're going to talk about, at least show remorse and learn from their wrongdoing. But never in Scripture do we see that from Cain. He lies about his sin. He complains about his punishment. He never says he's sorry. And then he goes ahead and lives his life without God, builds a city, names it for his son, and teaches his son that man-made stuff and fame have the highest priority in life. 
Now, if we continue on in Genesis, we find another dad. This one had lots of kids. I'm talking about Jacob. Jacob, whose 12 sons give us the story about Joseph and the coat of many colors. And we won't tell that story today. But suffice it to say that Jacob was a bit of a cheat and a scoundrel. He had to leave home as a young man because he had cheated his brother Esau out of Esau's birthright. And in doing that, he deceived his father. During his life, he lived in lots of places. He had several wives. He had lots of children. And the children probably saw him do some sneaky and unfair things. But they also saw Jacob honor God and worship God. And we're going to turn to a, a passage of scripture that tells us a little bit about what Jacob taught them. This, um, this piece of scripture is, takes place at a time when God is sending Jacob back to live more in his homeland in Bethel. This is from Genesis 35. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now we can learn a lot about what Jacob taught his children from this passage. Some of it good, some of it not so good. First of all, he said, get rid of all those foreign gods. So they gave them all to Jacob, but he didn't destroy them. He buried them. I wonder if he was hedging his bets just in case he ever came back to that place so that they could be found or used once again. But he also told the children, purify yourselves. Put on clean clothes. A reminder that as we go back toward God, we need to be pure. We need to be clean. And then he told them verbally that God had always been with him in his travels through the bad times and the good times. He did not prioritize worldly acclaim he prioritized honoring God. Now the next dad we're going to take a look at is not one who's thought of so much for his being a father, but for being a king. I'm talking about King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. We might think of him first as the shepherd boy who slayed Goliath with his slingshot. That's the famous story. And then he became a king. We know he had many failings. But on his deathbed, he offered his son Solomon, who was becoming the new king, this advice. And this is from 1 Kings chapter 2. 
When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahiram, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. I wish he'd stopped with the first half of that advice. He was doing so well to say, honor God, follow his ways, follow his decrees. But then he had to end with this request that Solomon dirty his own hands after his father David failed to do so by seeking vengeance on an old man whose curses, in fact, never really harmed David. All three, Cain, Jacob, David, they were imperfect men. They were devious at times, whiny at times, jealous at times, vengeful at times. But they differed in the way they responded to God. Cain never repented. Instead, he just settled for separation from God. He taught his son that public acclaim and personal endeavor and accomplishment is what mattered. Jacob at least managed to remember to turn to God in his troubles, and he did instruct his children about the importance of purity and cleanliness when approaching God. He hedged his bets a little with those gods he buried, but maybe that's just my interpretation, and it's not fair. And then there's David. King David, who sinned incredibly when he committed adultery and then conspired to kill the husband of the woman he had cheated with. But he repented famously in a psalm that we often read on Ash Wednesday or during Lent, Psalm 51, where David recognizes his sinfulness and cries out to the Lord, Lord, Return to me the joy of your salvation. Don't cast me away from your presence. Draw me back to you and I will make followers for you. I wonder what would have happened in Cain's life if he had repented in that way before God. The fundamental difference between these men was the relationship they had with God. Cain lived out of relationship. Jacob built an altar, but hedged his bets. And David instructed his son to be obedient and to build a temple that would honor God. You know, those biblical dads are a lot like dads today. Most imperfect and just so moms, you don't think you're off the hook, moms are pretty imperfect too. 
Some moms, some dads are great examples. Some are terrible examples. And then there's most of us right in the middle. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. So let's fast forward from the Old Testament times to Largo, Florida in 2023. The world gives today's dad, dads lots of challenges. When I was growing up, I'm going to sound like an old person right now. When I was growing up, there were no sports league on Sunday mornings and the stores were closed. But today's dads raise their children at a time when sports leagues, needing to get into the best schools and earn the biggest scholarships, learning to achieve and earn and buy and consume, compete with the things we try to teach in church. And sometimes those things can live in harmony and it's fine as long as we put God first. But it can seem impossible to raise disciples until you look around St. Paul at some of the disciples who are being raised here. I have examples today drawn primarily from staff families simply because I'm close to them and because I didn't raise any small children of my own, I have older stepchildren, I live vicariously through the parents who are on our staff. I love watching their kids grow up. And even though they're not in the sermon today, I have sitting right in front of me three generations, a daughter, a father and mother, and a granddaughter being raised in the church. It's been a privilege to watch them grow up. So I'm going to start, and I'm going to go through a list that's probably going to embarrass some of you, and I didn't ask anybody's permission to do this. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fortuna family. I knew Laurel before there was Dominic and before Laurel and Dave were married. In those days, Lindsay was a little bitty girl. I met her at Eastlake United Methodist Church. She was seven or eight years old and being treated for cancer. She had a little bald head. She was about this tall, and there was always a smile on her face. This Friday, we got the word she passed her state boards to become a registered nurse so that she could offer compassionate care to other children at um, All Children's Medical Center down in St. Petersburg, remembering what it felt like to be loved even by strangers. But the story I remember about her most was one day at um, Eastlake United Methodist Church. Pastor Bob Martin went up to the chancel and knelt down to say the pastoral prayer, and Lindsay zoomed up the aisle, snuggled up right next to him, and hooked her arm through his while he was praying. And I seem to recall that he had a real hard time getting through that prayer. Now, Laurel's married to Dave, and they're raising Dominic, who at our first service is the acolyte, who walks up the aisle, lights the candles, and right after he does that, I usually have to give the announcements, and I'm always choked up because I remember him when he was a baby in arms. But he's being raised to be a little disciple. And when we have communion, you can see him walking to the front with little Breck, Katie and Austin's little Breck, and teaching Breck how to cup his hands to receive communion. He's become a little disciple. And then I'm going to turn to the Valentines. Two of them were on the stage this morning leading in music, Matt and Josh. 
but there's more than the two of them. Their whole family's engaged in this church and student ministry. They were at TVR this week. They are a family who is raising their children in the church. They're making disciples. And there's the Van Dynes. There we have three generations. The Van Dyne grandparents and the Matthews grandparents with Bill back there. Raising up Allison and Bobby who get married and then have two sons, Noah and Josh. And my fondest memory of Josh, there's a lot of good memories, but he was eight years old. And we were right in this room and we had a labyrinth set out on um, Good Friday and the adults were walking through the labyrinth, and in the center there was a stone. You can't quite see it. it the light kind of blocks it. But when Josh, at age eight, got to the center, he knelt down and opened his Bible and started to read his Bible. And before long, there were adults around Josh in the center of that labyrinth. Reminds me of the scripture that tells us, and the children will lead them. And then there's Noah Van Dyne, never misses, misses a mission trip, never misses a time at TVR, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen him during the summer when he could be off just having a good time at open arms, unloading trucks and helping people carry food to their cars. There he is on a mission trip waving to us, about to go up on the roof of a house that they were repairing. Then there's the Tribby family, Steve and Pam and their kids. And, you know, Marina works in the nursery now, and she used to work at the preschool. And she is someone who loves little creatures, human and mammal alike, and brings lots of them home, as I'm told. I mean, Oliver, Oliver works at summer camp. He worked at summer camp from his wheelchair, and all I can remember is I will always call him Mr. Oliver, because that's what the kids called him, Mr. Oliver. And he treated them so beautifully and so well and taught them how to treat one another. And then there's the Zimmerman-Johnson clan. Generations right here today. We have Sharon and Gary are here, and Sharon and Joelle are here. Their two children, Katie and Austin, get married. Now we have two little mini Zimmermans running around. And one of them, Breck, comes to yoga on Tuesday night. And there he is with his eyes closed and his little hands at the end when we say a little prayer together. Friends, it's not impossible to make disciples today. It's a choice that dads and moms make you know, there was a country, sometimes country western music, I know you love it or you hate it, but sometimes country western songwriters just tell the best stories. And a few years ago, a guy named Rod, Rodney Atkins wrote a song called I'll Be Watching You. And the song starts in the first verse, the dad's driving the car or the truck down the street, and the little boy's sitting in a booster seat in the back with a happy meal and an orange drink, Dad has to hit the brakes, and the orange drink spills, and the little kid cusses. And the dad says, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? 
And, the, and I'm not going to sing the chorus because I don't know it and you don't want to hear me sing. But it goes something like this. The little boy says, well, Dad, I've been watching you. I want to be like you. I'm going to eat all my food and grow up and be your little buckaroo. I want to be like you, Dad. So they get home, and the second verse, the father goes out to the barn, and he's praying, Oh, Lord, what have I taught my son? This is terrible. Uh, you know, help me do better as a dad. Look what my son said. And then in the third verse, the singer, the dad, tucks the little child, the son, into bed, but the child slips out of bed and kneels down by the side of his bed and folds his little hands and prays. And the father says, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And the chorus comes back and the little boy says, dad, I've been watching you. I'm going to eat my food and grow up big and strong like you. I want to be just like you, dad. The fact is, kids learn from us. They learn the good and the bad. They learn from our words and from our actions. They will watch. They will learn. They will copy some days they will want to please you when they get older. Some days they will want to infuriate you. Sometimes they'll disappoint you. And other days they will thrill you. But the things they do come from what they see you and other adults around them do. If you teach them to build an altar, they will learn to love God. They will learn to love themselves and love each other and love their neighbors as the kids on the mission trip show. They love neighbors they did not know. Dads, today we celebrate you. Not only dads, biological dads, but adoptive dads, foster dads, granddads, grandfathers, role models, People like Alan Finney, who worships at the first service, but who's a tutor in Jumpstart, an adult supervisor in Jumpstart. People like Mark, who drive the bus. The kids know him. He is a role model for our student ministry and has been for years. And there's moms and women figures who sometimes have to fill in for dads who aren't there for whatever reason. But dads, today, enjoy your special day. But please remember this. If you build an altar, your children will see and they will learn. If you build an altar, you will help your children take that first stepping stone step to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you make those little disciples, they will grow up to become big disciples. They will build altars of their own. They will do that in the power of the Holy Spirit with the redeeming love of Jesus Christ and they will change the world. And someday their kids, your grandkids, they'll build little altars of their own. Amen.